Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 14th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, and we're also going to dive into the mailbag to answer some listener questions. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today on the show are managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, so let's talk about a couple news items first. Um, Brad, yesterday I was asking, I posed the question to you, what could MoviePass possibly do to uh, make their situation worse? And it seems like, against all odds, they have somehow answered that question. What's the latest with MoviePass? So, yeah, we asked a question, and MoviePass came back with quite the answer. Uh, late last night, um, before MoviePass switches over to their new subscription plan starting on the 15th, which gives their subscribers three movies for the price of nine ninety five a month, um, they decided to basically have customers who had already canceled their subscriptions be opted in to this new subscription plan, even if, though that they canceled earlier this month or before, and before the start of the new billing period. So a lot of people were posting on Twitter last night that they received an email saying, hey, thanks for opting in to the new subscription plan. And they were like, wait, what? I canceled this. And apparently the, what was happening is if you went into the app to either cancel your movie pass or just go in to double check to make sure that it was canceled after you received that email, you basically had to accept or opt in into the new subscription plan in order to even access the app. And so the, in the email, it also said that if you opted into this new plan, then that actually trumped your cancellation previously. The, now you could have canceled again, but the problem is several users who tried to cancel again were given an error message. And this happened to me last night once I saw this was going on. I went to double check to make sure my account was still canceled. And in order to do that, had to you know accept that there was a new plan that was going to be instituted, not realizing that you were accepting that this was the plan that you were re-enrolling in. Wow. And then I, and then I tried to cancel it again, and it kept saying uh, fail, uh, whatever the error was, it was like failed to cancel or something like that. And so finally today, uh, this afternoon, apparently it's working now. I don't know if it was a glitch or MoviePass saw all the bad press they were getting for being shady people again, um, but now it seems like it's working. 
if you uh, are one of the people who bought your movie pass subscription through Costco, apparently they're also accepting returns on any of the uh, annual movie pass subscriptions that were purchased in their stores. Um, but you know, this is again just another piece of shit move by a company who is desperate to hold on to as much money as they can as they desperately try to keep this sinking ship afloat. Uh, Jacob, you had some comments about MoviePass yesterday. Does this uh, latest update change your opinion at all or, or reinforce anything for you? Uh, uh, yesterday, I, I wondered if CEO Mitch Lowe was stupid. Today, I'll say I don't think he's stupid, but I do think his company and possibly him are craven and are irresponsible. And all they're doing is paving the road for other people to do this right. I know we've, we've discussed AMC's uh, A-list on this show before, but just today, uh, Alamo Drafthouse's... Uh, beta program that they're testing on a few locations it was revealed that 40,000 people have signed up uh, on the wait list for it so there is interest in this people want this this is this is the future of how we're going to watch movies and movie pass has dropped the ball so hard where they could have been the leader here they could have been the netflix instead they're going to be i don't know the blockbuster online service <laughs> yes exactly um all right well yeah speaking of things that may be irresponsible there is one other news story that i thought uh warranted a little bit of discussion and i, I wanted to bring you guys on to talk about this so uh yesterday a bit of a controversy arose about a youtube ad for warner brothers upcoming movie the nun this is the film that's set inside the uh, the conjuring universe and the ad plays before you know like a typical youtube ad it would pl- it will play before a video that you go to YouTube to see. And uh, I had all of you guys watch it. We'll link to the video in the in the article in the show notes so you guys can all watch it, all the listeners at home. And um, basically what it is is it, it shows the volume uh, icon pop up on your screen and the volume begins to drop until it goes to mute. And then all of a sudden, and so it's, this is over a black screen, so there's nothing there, no other noises other than just the volume turning down on, seemingly turning down on your computer. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a giant nun fills the screen and screams at you for like one second. And it's just a, it's basically jump a jump scare in the form of a, uh, a pre-roll ad. So a lot of people were talking about how this is very problematic, especially parents of kids who rely on YouTube, uh, rely on YouTube as like a primary source of entertainment. They're, you know, worried that their young children might see an ad like this pop up before some Thomas the Tank Engine video or something like that. So um, I, I just wanted to sort of take the temperature of the room here and see what you guys thought about this, because I feel like there are two ways you can look at it. You can look at this as like, wow, this is a really crappy tactic. Or you could maybe say that this is sort of a brilliant marketing ploy because it's getting a lot of people talking about it. It's, you know, even though uh, the coverage isn't necessarily positive about the movie, it's getting the word out there about the nun in a way that that otherwise might uh, might not have. So um, I just want to go around the circle and see what you guys think about this. Chris, you've been gone for a little while, so I want to hear from you. What do you think about this? Uh, I mean, I remember when I first started using the internet many, many years ago, uh, videos like this were all over the place where it, it was sort of like just like this <laughs> trend, I guess, where there were these, these jump scare videos where, you, you know, they tricked you into sort of like leaning into the screen and then a, a, a ghoul face would appear and you were, you were terrified. Um, so on that front, it's kind of like corny that the nun is bringing that back because I really haven't seen one of these videos since then, which had to be 
I don't even want to guess how many years ago it was, but it was a long time ago. So on, on that front, it's kind of stupid. And I personally loathe the idea of jump scares. But like you said, this has people talking about the nun. So maybe it, 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 it actually is working. I don't know. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a cheap scare. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily don't understand the concern about like their kids seeing this kind of ad because I mean usually these kinds of advertisements are programmed to only be paired with certain kinds of videos and things like that so like unless your kids are watching horror movie trailers or other things like that I, I can't imagine this video is going to be the one that pops up as an advertisement for a Thomas the Tank Engine video yeah, that was just me being ridiculous but but yes your point is well taken <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's uh, like Chris said, you know, it's it's definitely it feels like an old Internet trend coming back. It's it's cheap, um, you know, but if it's doing the trick and getting people talking, then obviously that's what's important for the studio and for, you know, the the brand that is the nun. Um, personally, I just I don't know. I, I wonder how many people it'll actually trick, um, because, I mean, the, the volume control is unique to the macbooks i wonder if just some people are just going to be so confused and annoyed that they might they might not even be scared by it they're just going to be like what the hell's going on with my computer um but i yeah i don't know it's i'm i guess i'm indifferent yeah i saw one person respond to our tweet about this story and and they were saying that the thing that they found the most uh troubling in the whole thing was not the jump scare aspect but the idea that a a, a marketing company would try to make it look like the controls on their own computer was being manipulated. Like they found that to be more disturbing than the the screaming nun. Um, Jacob, I know you've actually seen some footage from the nun. You, you wrote a big piece uh, at Comic-Con this year when they showed you the first, or, or I guess a 10 minute chunk of the movie. Um, what do you think about this? And also, do you think that based on the footage that you've seen and the, the teaser and stuff, do you think that they needed to go this way to sell this movie? Or do you think it looks good enough where they could have sold it in a more traditional way? Well, the footage we saw was a little different than most of the Conjuring verse movies. Almost entirely takes place in a Romanian castle. So it's very gothic, lots of spooky graveyards, fog, uh, satanic imagery. I, I wrote, talked about the, this footage on the podcast and I wrote about it on the site. I'll we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but the movie looks really creepy and atmospheric, but it does have jump scares. That is the, the Conjuring versus bread and butter. That is what uh, James Wan, who's producing this one and directed the first two Conjuring films, does well. So selling this jump scare is what gets the teenagers into the seats. Uh, it's the old horror funny duddies like me and Chris who see the fog-swept graveyard and go, ooh, I want to see that. <laughs> That's exciting to me. But I do think that selling the jump scares is important. And... But at the same time, as much as I enjoy jump scares and enjoy scares, I don't want this in my face when I'm on YouTube. It's, it, I feel it's a, it's weirdly inappropriate. I don't like having, um, I don't like being forced into a scare. The whole point of a horror movie is an issue of consent. You consent to being scared. You pay your ticket knowing you want to be scared. When you're just browsing around YouTube, you're chilling out. You, you, you didn't buy that ticket. But at the same time, I, I admire the hucksterism of it. This is like a total William Castle move. This is sort of, uh creating outrage and, and hysteria that the cellular movie and I can be all PC about it and put on my monocle and it pop out my eye because I'm so offended. Or I could just ad admire that Warner brothers is just saying, screw y'all horror movie. And I, so I, I, I am actually on both wavelengths here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of right there in the middle with this as well. well um, how would, how would, it, how would you guys feel if this was done for like, uh, if it was done for like a kid's movie? Like what if, 
it's a uh, it's for like a minions or a despicable me movie and like the volume is so much and then all of a sudden like a minion appears and he just starts laughing at you and he's like <laughs> and says something in minion gibberish and it's like it's a trick we got you come see despicable me four hmm um i don't that'd know that'd be worse i mean <laughs> well anything involving minions would would automatically be worse wait um, why they love bananas <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Does anybody have a, a response to that? Any, any? I don't know. What do you think? What do you guys think? I mean, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I have, I have a friend who has children, so he, he told me about that. Like, there are people who deliberately create like videos that are meant to look like children's videos for YouTube, but then they insert really creepy, weird shit in the middle of them. And he said this has happened like several times where like his kids will be watching YouTube and they'll, they'll be thinking they're watching some normal, harmless like cartoon. And in the middle of it, they start talking about like dismemberment and stuff like that. So that actually is sort of like this weird, <laughs> disturbing thing going on in the underbelly of YouTube. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, I did not expect this conversation to turn to that degree. But, um, all right. Well, I, I mean, I think that's pretty much it for the news uh, aspect of today's show. I think normally um, in a normal week, we do the water cooler episode on Monday. And that sort of gives us enough time to, I guess, bank up a couple of news stories to talk about. And there really hasn't been that much, um, I guess, podcast worthy news over the past couple days. So instead of of just, you know, talking about things that don't really deserve to be talked about, I figured we would dive into the mailbag and answer a couple of listener questions. So Paul T. from Horsham, England, recently wrote in to us, and he said that he, not too long ago, had a chance to see Incredibles 2, and he agreed with Peter that he found it to be a bit lacking in some areas. He thought it was a fun movie, but... Uh, quote, was missing a lot of the wit, charm, and emotion I would normally associate with a Pixar movie. Um, and then his second point was about a Craven the Hunter movie. And we talked about this on a recent episode of the show. Um, he said, you guys were reflecting on if anyone thought he was a good character to bring to the screen, or if there is even a story worth telling. Well, I can tell you that he is be a beloved villain for Spider-Man fans, and that there is a lot of potential if they decided to adapt the Craven's Last Hunt story arc. The only caveat I'd put in place for that is it only works if you have Spider-Man in it. I really hope Sony learns that the only thing that they that makes these villains of any interest is their interaction with Spidey and their over, uh, overlapping stories. I could be wrong, but so far Venom looks like hot garbage, or should that be hot turd? <laughs> Marvel Disney, please save us. So uh, I, I pose the question, um, Jacob, I think you were not on this episode of the show, but I mentioned how you are always talking about how like certain comic book characters are having um, or have had in recent years, uh, you know, have been like revitalized and characters that might sound ridiculous on the face of them, like Kraven the Hunter, who is a, a big game hunter who hunts down Spider-Man in the comics and the animated TV show. Uh, he theoretically is getting his own solo movie. They've hired a writer for it. And I was just wondering, has Kraven had this sort of resurgence in the comics? Do you know of anything like that, Jacob? Have you read anything about uh, a Kraven storyline this craven's last hunt for example anything like that that uh, that might make you think that this uh, character might actually deserve a movie of his own uh funny you should ask um interestingly craven's last hunt is the most famous craven storyline uh but as paul says it requires a history of spider-man the whole idea behind the storyline is that craven is dying and he decides to pull all all, all stops to get spider-man once and for all but it banks on years of history between Craven and Spider-Man. It banks on readers being invested in that dynamic. You strip that out, and suddenly the most recognizable story of that character doesn't have any power whatsoever. 
So Paul's right. That is the best Craven storyline. It's the one people talk as a touchstone, but it's not a movie. The character does not, does not have a movie in them. But interestingly, um, Craven has been going through a weird, not quite uh, resurgence, but he's been a regular re- reoccurring character in The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, our current ongoing Marvel comic that's wonderful and delightful. But it's, a, it's actually a comedy series. It's set in the Marvel Universe, uh, but it's very silly, very family-friendly, and Squirrel Girl and her allies going on all kinds of absurd adventures. One of the ongoing story arcs is Craven at first trying to hunt Squirrel Girl and her friends, and essentially going through this um, realization that he's a bad guy and trying to change himself and better himself. And it's actually really sweet and charming and silly. And so most I've enjoyed Craven in years. But <laughs> but, it, but once again, it relies entirely on your knowledge of Craven being a guy who's tried to kill Spider-Man for 40 years in the comic books. So if you try to just isolate the story, it's like, why is this weirdo hunter guy hanging out with these colorful characters and realizing he's a bad person? It doesn't make any sense. As much as I'm enjoying it, uh, it's not a movie. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, we recently talked about how the Venom movie might actually be rated PG-13 because Sony is worried about having, you know, solo R-rated movies and they want there to be more Spider-Man crossover in the future. So theoretically, maybe this Craven movie, if it ever actually happens, could include Spider-Man in it. And maybe they could adapt that story arc into a movie. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in... Uh, in hearing from everybody about um, any other Craven story arcs that you guys think might make a uh, good or might might be good for adaptation purposes. Um, moving on, Nicholas E from Chicago, Illinois said, "Hey guys, I was just wondering if you had any horror films that traumatized you or really affected you as a child. For me, it was Chucky. Uh, Chris, I know you're a big horror fan. Any that stuck with you from childhood?" Uh, the, the one horror film that really traumatized me in childhood was, uh, Pet Cemetery because, uh, as a kid, I was, uh, terrified of death. Unlike now where I welcome it at every turn. Um, <laughs> but at the, at the time I was, I was just like obsessed with the idea of dying. And it really like freaked me out. Like I would just lay in bed at night and be like, Oh my God, I hope I don't die. And <laughs> Uh, I don't know, you know, if you've not seen Pet Cemetery, that that movie and that book is literally all about death, like from beginning to end. So, uh, you know, all I knew when seeing that movie is it was a Stephen King thing. You know, at the time, even that age, I was a Stephen King fan, but I was not prepared for how uh, beholden to the idea of just death and dying that story was. So the, that movie really, really uh, fucked me up as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I have never seen Pet Cemetery, and I just DVR'd it, so it's sitting on my DVR, waiting for me to find a couple hours to carve out and watch it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Um, Jacob, I know you're also really big into horror. Anything stick with you from childhood? This is a weird thing. I didn't watch horror movies until I was maybe 10 or 11. So uh, by the time I was old enough to start watching horror movies, I feel like I was ready for it. So I don't have any childhood memories of specific horror movies upsetting me, but I do have two movies or two two things: a movie and TV show that horrified me for years and years and i'll be brief uh indian jones and last crusade <laughs> at the very end of the movie uh when julian glover's walter donovan drinks from the wrong cup when he chooses wisely and he uh ages quickly and turns into a, a, a corpse and explodes uh for years years and years and years and years and years i would cover my eyes during that scene refuse to look and i had nightmares about it uh similarly um there is an old episode of the hammer house of hard tv show called the house that bled to death and for some reason, I was on a sick day when I was four or five years old at my grandparents' house. I was out of school. I per- turned on day- daytime TV. Whatever was on Nickelodeon was not appealing at the time. 
somehow ended up on a rerun of Hammer House of Horror in the middle of the day. And for years, maybe even decades, I did not realize that the House of Blood to Death was a Hammer House of Heart episode. It was just a thing that messed me up real bad when I was a kid. So those are the two that stand out. All right. Uh, Brad, how about you? Uh, there weren't really any movies that like I was thoroughly creeped out when I was a kid. But I do remember being young and there was a local video rental shop that we would go to to get movies from on the weekend. Um, and whenever I was walking around trying to find a movie, it never failed. I always ended up stumbling upon the VHS cover for the movie Dead Alive. Mm. And it always creeped me out because the, if you if you remember it, the image is a woman's face and like her lips are being like pulled apart by hands and there's like a decaying human skull inside of her mouth. And like just the image and just like the thought of that just always really freaked me out. <laughs> And I, I definitely remember having uh, nightmares just because of that image alone. Yeah, I remember that one as well. And my answer to this question is also a VHS cover of a horror movie. And it's the cover of the first Hellraiser movie where it's just Pinhead with like all of those nails stuck in his head. It's just like a, a like a close up shot, like a bust of him. And I remember, I mean, I didn't see that movie until, I don't know, probably 2013 or something like that. But for years and years as a kid, every time I went into Blockbuster, I would, you know, sort of catch it out of the corner of my eye and be frightened all over again. Um, and then, like, when I was really, really young, there was a uh, an animated special, like a Halloween special of Garfield. And Garfield and Odie, I remember, were hiding from these, like, ghost pirates or something. <laughs> I just remember being really terrified, you know, terrified at that. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's... That's something that uh, <laughs> that's probably not exactly what Nicholas E was was asking for, but uh, yeah, that was that was a way back in the day reference for me. Um, so let's move on to our next question, and that is from Michael O from Nashville, Tennessee. He said, "I'm curious how you classify what year a movie falls in. I enjoyed your Best of 2018 podcast, but as I was looking some of the films up, it seems like IMDb and Letterboxd." classify some of them as 2017 or even 2016 movies. Usually I would just add these movies to my personal 2018 rankings, but I always want to put an asterisk by these films help destroy my OCD. So for you guys, how do you rank what year a movie falls in? What, what, what sort of categorization techniques do you uh, abide by? Um, Brad? Uh, for me, when I'm putting together my year-end lists, um, I always make sure that I classify the movie based on when it was released in theaters. Because so many times there are movies that will be on the festival circuit like towards the end of a year or even earlier in the year, and they won't get distribution until the next year. And that's when everybody else gets to see it. So uh, for me, that's how I always take into account what the release date is for a movie. I know sometimes people tr like will include uh, certain movies that came out the year previously in the next year's list because they didn't get like a wide release until January. Um, sometimes that happens, especially when you see people who write a uh, movie list from across the pond, they'll put together their lists and the UK won't get certain awards contenders until January. And technically those are, t those are like the next year's movies for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, it's always whenever it's the, whenever the first official theatrical release happens, that's the year that I'll include it in. Okay. Uh, Chris, what about you? Oh yeah, I, I'm the same. It, it, if, it, if it opens in a theater between January of the beginning of the year and December at the end of the year, that's that's my classification. Um, you know, a lot of times IMDb and Letterboxd, uh, they're they're picking up um sort of like a wrong uh, information where they're going off of 
an incorrect date or a previously announced date. And sometimes it's just, it's not automatically updated, but um, you know, if, if the film doesn't have an official release in that year, like I remember last year I saw uh, the death of Stalin at TIFF and I was going to put that on my best of last year list, but that movie didn't get to distribution in the U S until this year. So I had, I deliberately removed it from my best of list at the time. So it just, it just has to come out at some point within the year in question. Even in uh, in limited release, or do you have to? Does it have to be wide release for you to count it? No, I, I'm fine with limited because a lot of, especially at the end of the year, a lot of stuff like you know the quote unquote Oscar bait will be released only in like New York and L.A. just so it can qualify for an Oscar, and it won't really come to other theaters until January. But you know, technically, it, it's been released you know, in the, the year in question. So mm-hmm. to me, that counts. Jacob, what about you? Uh, Brad and Chris pretty much said what I, what I would say. It's theatrical release, limited or full. That's when a movie's date is. That's when it should be dated. A festival does not count. Otherwise, Bodied would have been in my top 10 of last year. So I saw that last year at, at Fantastic Fest. I will say that um, a Slash Film doesn't have a style guide. But uh, on our loose list of rules, one of them is a movie is defined its, its year by theatrical release. So that's the official slash film stance on it as well. Cool. And uh, speaking of bodied, I think that just got a release, a theatrical release for sometime this year, didn't it? Do you happen yeah. to know what, when that is off the top of your head? Uh, early November. I want to say November 2nd. It's uh, YouTube bought it, so it will eventually be available on YouTube Premium. But Neon is giving it a theatrical release as well. And it's a great audience movie, so if it comes to you, you should see it. Very cool. Uh, so a couple more mailbag questions to go through. Leanne R. from L.A. said she, that she just wanted to shout out to Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery. She said, like HT, I use the game as an excuse to take micro breaks at work, and it really helps pass the time. I'm a completionist at heart when it comes to video games, so I'm in this for the long haul. Thankfully, they do have many side quests in the game one of my favorite personal uh, personal favorites being the dueling club and the addition of pets. Just wanted to add that there is also a still uh, still a big fan base for the game. I recently joined the subreddit for this, and it's got a good number of people, and I'm happy that I'm still part of it. So a quick shout out for Hogwarts Mystery there. HT recently talked about that on uh, a water cooler episode of the podcast. So any other Hogwarts Mystery fans out there, it sounds like you're still in good company. Uh, and then finally, one from Connor B, who didn't leave his ge- uh, geographic location which is defying the the specific requests that we put at the end of every episode. But Connor B, I'm going to read your question anyway, because it's specifically about Jacob and he's on the show today. So he says, Oh no, uh, Jacob went off on Twitter over the weekend. I think this might've been two weekends ago by the time we, we got this, uh, this mailbag question. But in any case, Jacob went off on Twitter over the weekend on uh, mystery science theater, 3000 slash movie commentary that pokes fun of movies as being Uh, a low form of art or harmful. I feel as though he has mentioned other films as being so bad it's good, schlock, and stuff like that, so I'm confused as to how he can say that without being a total hypocrite. I would love for the whole crew to weigh in on their thoughts and if uh, if they find things such as MST3K enjoyable or not. A lot of these films received a second lease on life due to MST3K. Rediscovering them, Best Worst Movie is a great example of this as well. I love the site and the podcast, but I vehemently vehemently disagree with Jacob on this point. So, uh, Jacob, explain yourself. Give us some context for these tweets uh, and maybe read a couple of them. And, uh, and yes, answer for yourself here. <laughs> I'm not going to pull up the tweets, but I'll give you guys a, a summary. Uh, hi, Connor. Uh, I, I do appreciate the question. I, I, I appreciate the chance to clarify this. There's a uh, local comedy troupe in Austin uh, that does live commentary over movies where they make fun of the movie, poke fun at it, 
you people pay to go see it. And I'm not a fan of this um, because this troupe in particular doesn't do just bad movies or cult classics. They do good movies as well. Like one year they did There Will Be Blood. And recently they did Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. And that's what contributed to my tweet. Because I think War of the Worlds is a genuinely great movie. The one that's been misrepresented uh, by, to, by moviegoers and by film writers. And a movie that's deserving of a second critical appraisal. And I think by making fun of it, by taking it into a room where it can be mocked, is doing damage to reappraising a movie that actually desperately needs someone to champion it and to say, hey, this is a overlooked thing that we all made fun of incorrectly 10 years ago. So that was, that was my initial reaction, and it kind of spurred me into a bit of a Twitter rant uh, where I talk about how I don't like Mystery Science Theater 3000 or movie-mocking shows like this at all because I love bad movies. I've been on this podcast numerous times talking about the latest bad movie I've watched and how I love to find these things because... There are incredible artists, people with incredible visions who have no talent. I mean, the most famous example is Ed Wood, but there's so many others. People who their reach exceeds their grasp and they produce terrible, terrible movies that have pure artistic visions that are worth exploring. So I endorse watching bad movies. I endorse finding these outsider artists whose work is astonishingly bad, but so much fun to talk about, even maybe laugh at. But I endorse watching it yourself, um, maybe with some friends and talking about it afterwards, explaining why it's bad trying to get to the bottom of why it's bad and how it's bad, whereas reducing it to a running stream of commentary uh, and having people make fun of it for you rather than you engage with it directly and have you discover yourself why it's bad, that to me is where, where I find it dangerous, where these B-movies that I love so much, these bad movies that I love so much, are treated as jokes instead of being um, objects worthy of discussion. Uh, I hope that's, hope that's clear. I mean, I know people on this, on this podcast like Mystery Science Theater 2000. I know Brad's a fan. So I don't want to say people who like it are, are dog crap. That's not what I mean <laughs> to say at all. But my, my, my personal opinion is that I would rather engage these movies on their own terms. Uh, Brad, I know, I mean, like Jacob just mentioned, you are a fan of MST3K. What do you have to say about all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand where Jacob is coming from. I, I can appreciate that. But I also am a huge fan of just comedy in general and i feel like uh there's no harm in making fun of a bad movie especially with you know the with the reference that mystery science theater 3000 and the creators behind it have for movies that are so bad they're good um you know it's there's definitely a charming aspect to it the writers behind those show uh those shows are really funny you know and especially when you take into account that somebody like Pat Oswalt, who is maybe one of the biggest cinephiles in the entire comedy community, like this is a show he's, you know, taking part in and that he's always, he's always loved. And he's also a comedian who, you know, has made a pretty good living providing commentary on, on movies that are both good and bad, writing jokes based around pop culture, you know, film and television and all these things. And so I feel like to simply disregard the act of comedy making fun of a movie live or whether it's recorded like Mystery Science Theater 3000, I think it's a little bit short-sighted. Um, Jacob's entitled to his opinion, obviously, and if he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. No one should force him to go, you know, enjoy <laughs>, laughs. Um, but I, I find a lot of... Uh, I, I think it's interesting because there are movies that you can watch by themselves and you can appreciate them and laugh at them when you find out they're so bad they're good, but you can get even more entertainment value, you know, if you watch them, again, with a kind of funny commentary. And you'll often find some movies you know, that you'll be amazed even exist with this commentary. And they, they also almost create a new level of appreciation in a, in a different way that you might not have before, especially because plenty of people out there aren't necessarily clever enough to, 
you know, make fun of a movie like that or really, like, sit around and have the kind of intellectual conversations we do about movies as to why they're bad and that, and that kind of thing. So they're just enjoying them in a way that's different from what other people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, how do you weigh in on this? So I'm a I'm a huge Mystery Science Theater fan, um, but I, I do want to preface this by saying as much as I love Mystery Science Theater, I think it has done... I don't want to say more harm than good, but it's definitely... So, all right, here's the thing. Mystery Science Theater is done by people who know what they're doing. And unfortunately, they do it in this very laid-back, easy way where they make it look really easy. And it made everyone in the world think, oh, I can make fun of movies. I'm funny. But no, you're not funny. There are <laughs> lot, there, There's this, this entire world out there where people think they're hilarious, and they're really not. And uh, as a result, it's inspired this sort of like culture where people think you know i'm gonna make fun of a movie loudly and everyone's gonna laugh at it and it it, it doesn't work especially because mystery science theater though you know especially the early seasons those those episodes were done sort of uh, with with good intentions i want to say where you can tell like they weren't trying to be mean they were just trying to have fun and uh, that's one of the reasons i don't like riff tracks which is the like the mystery science theater spinoff because I find those, even though it's the same people, some of the people, I find those to be a little too mean for their own good. And they also often do good movies. And that sort of goes against everything that made Mystery Science Theater so special. Like, you know, they were doing not B movies, like Z grade movies, movies that are so incompetently made that it's kind of a miracle that they exist at all. And that was sort of the part of the fun. You know, if you're doing that same thing and making fun of like Titanic, you're, you're wasting everyone's time. Like, like, what are you doing? There's no reason to do that. Right. So, so that's sort of where I fall, where I love Mystery Science Theater, but I don't like any of its uh, imitators. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I feel like we've covered the, the bases on, <laughs> on, you know, the entire gamut of uh, opinions about this. Um, before we wrap up, I want to know it, off the top of your heads, do you guys have any favorite so bad they're good movies, either, you know, something that you grew up watching or loving or um, something that you found more recently, any, any that uh, particularly stand out? Um, Jacob, how about you? Uh, there's a movie called War- Warriors of the Wasteland or The New Barbarians. I've seen under several different titles. And it's essentially a uber cheap Mad Max ripoff shot in essentially a single uh, canyon. And it, um, oh man, I don't even know where to begin. What starts off as a Mad Max ripoff starts revealing its really kind of ugly, misguided politics about halfway through. And you start to realize that what you've been watching this sort of um, Mad Max riff where somebody smuggled in a truly ugly, heinous right wing worldview. And by the time you realize that you're too trapped, you have to keep watching. And it's really bizarre. I don't recommend it widely because it because it will upset people with its with some of its messages. But for people who want to see how like somebody clearly got paid to go make a really cheap Mad Max movie and came back with this political screed about how um, the gays are literally going to destroy the world and rape our protagonists. Um, yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. That's <laughs> that's something I, I, I came across one day, and I'm, and I'm still fascinated by it. Wow. Okay. Uh, for me, I think Boa versus Python, which is a uh, a 2004 movie that I'm pretty sure was made specifically for the Sci-Fi Channel. <laughs> I remember um, that 2004 era was like I was graduating high school and and just heading into college, and that was like 
the peak zone for me watching these really awful movies that uh, my friends and I really enjoyed. We never really did the full MST3K treatment on them, but we we watched a ton of really awful stuff. And then more recently, um, I think in like 2015, 2016, I came across this movie called Dangerous Men. And I wonder if any of you have seen this. I think it was a draft house production or or at least uh, draft house films found it and re-released it and it's it's from this guy named john rad and this movie is just like it's mind-boggling in how terrible it is but it's also one of those things that jacob was talking about earlier where it's like intensely personal and you can tell that nobody else on this earth could have made this movie as weird and and sort of out there as it is it is the the result of a singular vision of this really bizarre guy jacob do you remember this movie did did you ever come across this one i've seen dangerous men several times including once years ago uh, when draft house was first trying to find interest in picking it up and held a, a top secret screening that we weren't we weren't allowed to talk about for years to um, friends of the fam, of the Draft House family and local writers to say, like, what do you think about this thing? We know nothing about going in. And watching it was just one of the greatest holy crap experiences in my life. So uh, <laughs> I ended up seeing it again at Fantastic Fest after Draft House officially bought it. And you're right, it, it's a truly deranged movie. It's, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brad, how about you? Any favorite uh, So Bad They're Good movies? Every single Christmas, I watch Jingle All the Way. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. It is awful it is so cheesy so i mean jake lloyd's in it and he's he was not a good actor back then like i know he's been definitely berated by star wars fans way too much but he was not a good child actor i mean you have arnold schwarzenegger saying lines like who said you could eat my cookies and (laughs) it's just it's perfect sinbad's in it and they dress up as superheroes at the end it's it's awesome it is so so bad and i love every minute of it all right uh chris how about you uh, I'll, I'll, I'll list two. So one, uh, I've written about for the site. It's, it's, uh, the happening, which, um, M night Shyamalan's the happening, which is sort of like the film that made everyone give up on him for a few years. And uh, I, I love that movie. And I don't know if it counts because a part of me really thinks he deliberately made that movie bad. And that's sort of the th- thing I wrote about that. He intentionally went out of his way to make a B movie. But even if he did, it's this thing is a miracle of how stupid and <laughs> just ridiculous it is. And then um, the other one is another draft house uh, re-release. It's called the, the Miami connection, which is about uh, this band who are also ninjas. It's just, it's, terrible but i love watching it it's just such a treat to watch because uh you know going back to what jacob said it, it you can tell it's a film made by people who were really into this idea like they made they, i think they shot this movie over a period of years on weekends and they just kept making it until it was done and they they were so committed to get getting this terrible shitty movie done and you gotta you gotta respect that people who are just so committed to getting something done no matter how bad or inept it might be uh miami connection is fantastic and dragon sound is the name of the uh the band of ninjas that you're talking about and man i I, if you guys have not heard of miami connection seek it out at least watch the trailer and maybe that will convince you that that's a movie that you absolutely should go see so that's going to do it for today's episode of slash film daily before we leave uh, where can people find more of our work online brad let's start with you Hey, if you're looking to find me online, you can check SlashFilm.com. It's a website where we write about movies. You can also 
Check me out on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and listen to my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other places where podcasts are sold. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Jacob? I'm on SlashFilm.com every single day and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. Uh, I am also writing at SlashFilm.com. I recently put together a video about how the team at a visual effects house called Digital Domain created Thanos in Avengers Infinity War. I'm going to put that in the show notes. It would do me a great honor if you took uh, 10 minutes out of your day to watch this video because I worked really hard on it. And you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Uh, you can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can can find at the site you can subscribe to slash film daily on itunes google play overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slash film.com and be sure to need to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air please rate and review the podcast on itunes that's very important tell your friends spread the word and we'll talk to you tomorrow <laughs>